My name's Randy. But as I said last week, there's a reason they don't know my name. Because as the senior pastor, I'm not the most important person in their lives back there. Uh, the much more important people in the lives of the children in the children's ministry are those uh, uh, servants that walk back there every day and sit on the floor with them and hear their vomit stories and help them uh, learn the scriptures and put them in their hearts and care for them and practically show them the love and the power of God. So if, uh, if that touches you, not just the emotional thing like, ooh, I want to be with cute kids, though that's okay, but the longing to actually help raise up the next generation of children who, if our prayers are answered, our ceiling in God will be their floor. They will see things and do things in the kingdom that I don't think we've yet experienced. If we do our jobs well, <laughs> we get to release the next generation to go past us. So uh, if that's stirring in your heart, uh, talk to Marsha Keel. She'd love to get you involved and you will be. Uh, actually, we're, uh, we're addressing a pretty serious topic this morning. And uh, before we do that, I just want to ask for God to be here with us to uh, give us understanding and clarity and empower us to obey the command that he gives us. Every command that God gives us it, uh, holds within it the promise of the power to actually live it out. And when we do that, we're blessed by his presence in a special way. So let's just pray for that. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that you've released your peace among us. We thank you, Lord, that you've declared your faithfulness among us. And now we ask, Lord, for just the continued and increasing presence of the Holy Spirit here. As we look to the scriptures, Lord, as we open our hearts and our minds to learn from the very word of God, we pray that the spirit of God who inspired it would uh, teach us now. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, bring illumination to us and empower us to do what you've called us to do. Lord, so that the, the, the world will experience the love and the power of God as we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> uh, subject of the day is, is uh, divorce, though I don't really want to say it that way. I'd rather say uh, the subject of the day is how to stay married. But we've got to deal with a few things before that. And I'm very conscious in, uh, in the church the size of ours between this service and next might be 375, 400 people that will walk in and sit down that we've got uh, a large diversity of groups here. And honestly, I stand with a little bit of fear in front of those groups because the whole message of marriage, divorce, remarriage in the Bible has been a tricky one. I mean, you don't have to put up your hands how many people have been or know of people who have been severely wounded either in a relationship or outside of a relationship when they deal with the church regarding this issue. And yet we know that the heart of God is compassion and a call for obedience. And man, it's a struggle. And so there are uh, those out here, uh, sitting out here today, right now, who have been divorced and didn't want to be divorced. Who have, who, have, who have been divorced and they were the one that committed the sin that started it. Have been divorced and, and, it, and it was a completely against their will. Some that are in a marriage right now that feels like effectively divorce. It feels like we're just cohabitating. But there's no one flesh. There's no union. There's no intimacy. There's no deep covenant love. We've got single people who long to be married and don't know why they're not. We've got young people who uh, probably haven't given a thought yet <laughs> to all of this and yet look at the um, bombs that go off all around them. My children go to the public school. 
more than 50% of my children's friends' parents are divorced. That's just the reality out there. And so we've got to deal with it. And so what I'm going to do today, I'm just going to let you know up front, <clears throat> I'm going to bring an understanding uh, of the scriptures of Jesus' teaching on divorce that might shock you a little bit. So I'm just warning you right now. I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord. I'm saying, here's how I look at the scriptures and understand it. And I say that because you know what I'm going to do from traditional evangelical uh, thought? I'm going to open the door a little bit. It's scary. (laughs) And here's why. I think we have a biblical precedent and understanding to see the heart of God's heart of compassion for those dealing in the reality of a broken world. I don't think that we want to or have any right to or that God would be honored by us uh, changing the scriptures to fit our brokenness. I'm not going to do that. But what I am excited about is having an understanding of the scriptures that makes sense in our broken world. Because that's what we're stuck with. A broken world. The problem with this issue is uh, surrounding divorce is there have been a lot of things said out there. And you've probably been in one of these camps or heard this and, and probably believe at this point one of these things. You may have heard, you know, Malachi 3, God hates divorce, therefore it's never allowed, ever, 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 amen. If you do it, you're second class. You're out. Some might believe divorce is allowed for adultery, unfaithfulness, and they go down that track and you see in that text, the Greek word is porneia. It's the word for adultery. It means sexual immorality. And then you've got to go down the track to figure out what in the world does porneia mean? Well, I know some of what it means today. Does that mean adultery is also the equal is equal with lust? It seems like Jesus said that, right? How do we understand it? There are some that might say divorce is allowed for adultery and for abandonment. Because remember, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says if uh, an unbeliever leaves a believer, then that person can be separated and that's cool. So then you think to yourself, well, didn't, Je- didn't Paul know what Jesus said? Because didn't Jesus said only for adultery? We're going to read Matthew 19. It's what it looks like. And then Paul says, oh, yeah, an abandonment. Can we just keep making up things on the way? I mean, Jesus or Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Did he get it or did he not? And there's confusion. And then probably a lot of us out there, and I'll tell you, here's the camp that I've been in. Divorce is bad. We don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to deal with what the Bible says. We want to live with the reality of Jesus' command, but recognize that, man, if some woman is being beaten by her husband and he hasn't committed adultery, I'm going to personally say to her, get the heck out of there. That's reality. And as a pastor, I deal with that much more often than you would imagine. So you've got all those things floating out there and we're thinking, okay, God, wouldn't it be nice if we knew what was true? Well, I'm not claiming that I now will bring that completely. But uh, in my ministry in the last nine years, I've taken large chunks of time to study this issue because I, I have to deal with it on a practical, on a practical way. And um, I've been really helped by the work of a man named David Instone Brewer, wrote a book called Divorce and Remarriage in the Church. He's a New Testament scholar with the specialty in the times of Jesus. So understanding the Pharisees in the times of Jesus. And he sheds light for me on the heart of God, compassionate to people, the call to faithfulness, covenant love, marriage forever and ever, amen, while understanding that we live in a broken world 
And people broken by brokenness can be fixed by a perfect God. So we're going to read the passage after all that. Now you're either really scared or really interested. Um, Let's read from up here. Matthew 19. We're in a series in Mark, and we haven't been in Mark in three weeks. It's because they work together, right? Flexibility. So we're in this series in Mark. We're going to turn to Matthew 19 because it's Mark, it's Mark 10, 1 to 12 is essentially the same message as Matthew 19, uh, 1 to 10. With one little difference that I think is the key to understanding the passage. So this is the word of God. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, to test him. The purpose of the Pharisees, did they really want to know the truth? No, they wanted to trap him, scandal to test. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, and this is the critical phrase, for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and he said, for this reason... Male and female, created in the image of God, male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's not just physical union, it's spiritual union. One flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then? You know, the, the Pharisees aren't, that, that didn't get them. They want to go deeper. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. In other words, unrepentant, not willing to hear the voice of God. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. How's he going to get himself out of this one? So the big question from the Pharisees, can a man divorce a woman for any and every reason? I'm going to skip right out of the passage and go back to the Old Testament. In the times of Jesus, they're, I mean, they're literally the end of the old, right? They're, the New Testament's beginning, beginning, the new era of Jesus. And so they're living in Old Testament times, and they're living essentially under Old Testament law. So all of these pharisaical questions are about, Jesus, you seem to be claimed to be somebody special. What are you going to do with Moses? He was the greatest prophet ever. What are you going to do? So, uh, so they're in the context of Old Testament law. In the Old Testament, uh, there were, given by God and understood, understood by people, reasons, grounds for this holy uh, union called by God to be broken. Deuteronomy 24.1 says this, if a man marries, if he selects, <laughs> so, talking about uh, giving a servant in marriage, it, where am I? If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, this was the, uh, one of the grounds for divorce in the Old Testament. If uh, she becomes displeasing because he finds something indecent. The Hebrew word for indecent literally means sexual immorality. So right there, that Moses gave permission. 
if a man uh, is with a woman and she's indecent, that is sexually immoral, she commits adultery, then the man is allowed to give her a certificate of divorce. She's called to covenant faithfulness in sexuality. She breaks that commitment. God says, though it breaks my heart, you can release her. It's a biblical ground. Exodus uh, 21, 9-11, uh, talking about giving a servant in marriage. If he selects her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. This was understood by the Jews. What are the rights of a woman in a marriage relationship? If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her, and here are the rights. Food, clothing, and marital rights. Provision, cover, and marital rights. Do you see the quotes? We're talking about sex, all right, because she didn't get it. So th- these were, these were the, this was the commitment of man to woman in the Old Testament. These things were actually written into the marriage certificate in Jewish times. It was written in, this is what we will do. So essentially, the grounds for divorce were written into the marriage contract. So if someone, if someone was, not, was uh, being cheated against, was not being provided for, was being abandoned or abused because of lack of care, there was the right in the Old Testament to say, all right, you've broken the covenant, and though it breaks the heart of God, I have to break with you. So in the Old Testament marriages, right in the contract, you see this promise to feed, to clothe, and to love. And in New Testament times, if you go back to that, uh, could you, Adam, go back to that uh, Deuteronomy 24. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, something indecent, some cause of decency, then he can say, okay, you go. Here's what happened in the time of Jesus. There were a couple of different rabbinic traditions there. Uh, Shammai was one, Hillel was another. And one of those traditions went back to Deuteronomy 24 and said, hey, there's a cause for a man to, to separate from his wife. And between the time when that was written in Deuteronomy and the time of the New Testament, the, the uh, Pharisees began to say, any cause. And that's what, that's, that was the phrase, a divorce for any cause. And that's why in Matthew 19, we see the, the Pharisees asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every cause? So here's, the, here's kind of the uh, in, interpretive key for us. When the Pharisees asked that question, they were not asking Jesus for a complete listing of how's the whole divorce thing work and what are the preconditions. They assumed and understood that Jesus would not be against the Old Testament law, adultery, abandonment, abuse as grounds for divorce. Break the heart of God, yes, but within the heart of God, compassion for the broken also. Adultery, abandonment, abuse. So when they say, is it legal for a man to divorce his wife for any and every cause, what they're really asking Jesus are, are you into this no-fault divorce thing? That's the real question they're asking. Are you cool with this any and every cause? You could, this is in rabbinic writings of the time, a man could actually write a certificate of divorce for his wife because she burned the morning's toast. In other words, any cause got real big. I see wrinkles, you're out. I see fat, you're out. Burn toast, you're out. That's scary for me because I'm the toast maker in my house. But you get the point. Here's God's heart 
because of the hardness of heart, because unrepentant people, people will be hurt by unrepentant people. Because of God's heart, I'm going to give you these, these, these possibilities. If it has to be broken, it can be. And I'm not against you. But this business of any and every cause is really what they're asking about. And Jesus is saying, absolutely not. Don't be like faithless Israel that for any and every reason will run from their God. In the same way, don't be like faithless Israel that for any and every reason you'll run from the the spouse that you committed to before God and people to live with in covenant love. Don't run away from it. And so the norm of the day became this any cause divorce. If you go almost anywhere in the Muslim world right now, that any cause divorce rule stands. A Muslim man has only to say to his, to his wife three times in a row, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and it's done. I read an article this week uh, about a woman who brought a case in a Muslim country because the, the, the husband had said to her, I divorce you, I divorce you, twice to the face, and the third one was a text message. She brought it to the, land, to the judge, and the judge said, it's legit, you're divorced. This is the New Testament understanding of divorce. It was the Hebrew understanding of divorce. It follows through. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Not for any and every cause. And so uh, Jesus responds, the goal and the purpose of marriage, um, back to uh, Matthew 19, 4 to 6. Some Pharisees came, um, is that where I wanted Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. They're thinking any cause. He's saying, no, not any cause. Don't you remember the goal of covenant love in the beginning? Don't you remember how this all started? He created man, not good to be alone. He created woman. Wow, they complete one another. This is a picture of Jesus in the church. It's a picture of covenant love from God above. It's it's a mystery. It's miraculous. Jesus says, don't go down that road. Remember what this is all about. The love of God being shown in and through people. It says, don't let anything separate that. It doesn't say it can't be separated. It just says, don't let anything get in the way. Because Jesus has the understanding that when God ordained marriage, he said, this is the one place where my most incredible intimate love can be expressed between two people. Which, let's be honest, is exactly the reason that in that relationship, the most possibility for pain exists. The more you love, the more you open yourself up to significant pain and hurt. Right? Right. So the tricky question that the, uh, the, the Pharisees come back with is, well, wait a minute, why did Moses say it was okay? Didn't Moses say that? And Jesus says, yes, Moses did say that. And he doesn't say Moses is all wet. Jesus said, I didn't come to abandon the law, but to fulfill the law. And so he says about Moses, yeah, Moses gave you the chance to write that certificate of divorce. Why? Because of hardened hearts, because of unrepentant hearts. And when I see that scripture, I think of men and women who have been uh, cheated against or abandoned or abused. And I think because of the hard heart of the adulterer, the abandoner, the abuser, that this person has a way out. 
covenant love in its goal is not looking for a way out, but a way through. But God says, because of hard hearts, yes, I can understand. It's repentant hearts. Jesus says, yes, it's allowed, but it breaks the heart of God because it breaks the hearts of the ones that he loves. You know, Malachi 3, God says, I hate divorce. I I heard a pastor who happened to be divorced say, you know who else hates divorce? Divorced people. Because it's painful. It breaks the heart of God because it breaks the hearts of the ones that he created and that he loves. And so Jesus ends with this zinger, the end of Matthew 19. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. Here's the key. I don't think that Jesus was precluding abandonment and abuse from the Old Testament because of the context they were talking in. But he was highlighting the crucial fact of oneness. Abuse and abandonment grounds. But adultery, the crucial fact of oneness, what is this all about? That you would come together and you would be one flesh. That when you have intercourse, it's not just bodies exchanging things with one another. It's actually a spiritual union. A spiritual union that God doesn't want to see separated because of the pain that comes from that separation. And so Jesus wasn't repealing the Old Testament vows and grounds. Even our wedding vows today to love, to honor, and to keep. We say that in our wedding vows, just uh, exactly along the lines with the Old Testament vows. And And when one of those gets broken, and I'm not talking about, you know what, she was mean to me this morning. I feel abandoned. Divorce. Let me just be honest with you. If you're looking for a way out, there's nothing I can say that's going to keep you from it. But if you're looking for a way out of your marriage, you have one thing to do today. Are you ready for this one? Repent. Repent. Turn around. Covenant love is not looking for a way out. Covenant love is looking for a way through. But what I want to speak to is some of those people who are wounded out there and thinking I'm second best because I got divorced and maybe it wasn't biblical grounds. There was no adultery. But you look back and you realize I was abandoned repeatedly unrepentantly I was abused repeatedly without repentance and God's heart to you is you're clean you're clean so marriage is for life but broken marriages broken marriage vows can be grounds for divorce Jesus urged forgiveness the ministry of Jesus was forgiveness right he urged forgiveness but he understood that there, are, that, there are, that there are grounds. Grounds, not command or assumption. Jesus says you can. He doesn't say you must. I've talked to people who said, my husband has committed adultery. Now I have to get divorced, right? No. Now you get to show covenant love and forgiveness. If it goes on and on and on, do you have grounds? Yes. But do you have to? No. You get to show the redemptive power of God. By staying, by sticking, by forgiving, by pushing, by caring over and over and over again. The God of covenant love wants to give you that power to go through. The goal of covenant love is enduring faithfulness regardless. When you hear um, God's love described in the Old Testament, there's one Hebrew word used more than any other one. It's, ready for this one? I'm going to spit. 
Chesed. H-E-S-E-D. Chesed. You know what it means? It, you can't get... There's no English equivalent because it takes in too much. It's loving faithfulness. Loving faithfulness. That's how God's love is described. Constantly loving, never quitting. Constantly loving, never quitting. Constantly loving, never quitting. Looks like I'm milking a cow. (laughs) Covenant faithfulness. That's the love that God pours into us in Christ. And so we're empowered by the God of covenant love, not to look for a way out, but to look to him for a way through. And um, when I talk about the power of God to give us a way through, we're, we recognize that we love, First John, we love because God first loved us. And when we're in a loving relationship that's getting hard, sometimes we've got to go to a place that's unnatural. We've got to go to supernatural. We have to pull God into the picture. And so if you'll give me just a few more minutes, I'd like to introduce someone who's probably more knowledgeable about that than me. You get to hear a lot from me. You don't get the honor and privilege that I have every day to get to hear a lot from my wife, Jane. So I'm going to ask Jane to come up and correct me where I'm wrong. I'll stay with you. Okay, I'm right here. Okay, this might be one of you guys one day coming up here, so don't get too comfortable out there. Um, Okay, I'm just going to read some things that are truths, and then I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. Um, Living out of covenant love is based in the character and power of God. So, um, yeah, he made it up, and he he helps you do this. He he helps you do this. Um, It's him that gives us his love um, for our spouses. Um, Covenant love does not look for a way out when things are hard, but a way through. That's what Randy just said. It's so true. So, um, okay. It's easy to love your husband, you know, uh, when he's lovable. <laughs> and, but sometimes he's not. So um, sometimes what I do is I ask the Lord. I'm, I'm a visual type person, and um, I ask the Lord. Um, because the, the Bible, it says the cord of three strands um, is not easily torn apart. And, and um, so I asked the Lord, how's our cord doing? <laughs> and, you know, I, I took this out of the man van. This is my son's uh, van, and he carries around a rope with him. I'm not sure why, but it did work well for today. So um, sometimes I picture, when I picture our cord, you know, it's a little frayed at the top, but pretty good. You know, it's sticking together. Um, and sometimes, uh, let's see, sometimes um, sometimes it's good, two parts of it are good, but one part of it is kind of fallen off, <laughs> fallen, uh, fraying away here. So um, anyway, for me, it's God, God just helps me, it helps me picture things so I can kind of see where we're at and... Um, the thing is, is the enemy really does hate uh, our relationship, a covenant love relationship, because it really reminds him of Jesus and the church. And so um, he does things to try to, to break us apart. And sometimes wounds and different uh, brokenness um, from our past, you know, can bump up against each other. And we can, can't really figure out what, why are we having so much trouble. And so anyway, this 
just happened to us in the last, we've been through kind of a hard season um, last uh, couple months. And um, what I want to do is tell you guys how God uh, rescued us. So, um, okay. Uh, okay, so we were having a hard time and, um, and uh, God just, he, frequently he, um, well, at different times in my life, he's, he speaks to me through dreams and he'll he'll speak to you guys however it's best for you to hear he'll he'll do this for you because he he wants to help you he loves you he he wants to um empower you to live um in the covenant relationship so anyway the dream i had was i was standing in a field i might close my eyes to go back to it but um i was standing in a field and i saw these long furrows and there were plants in these furrows and um each plant had uh three leaves in it, and two were gray, and one was green, and I thought to myself, wow, I, I need to water those plants, and so as I was standing there, um, all of a sudden, I heard this big <laughs> behind me, and, there, and I looked, and there was a bull, a huge, mean, angry bull, and he was getting ready to charge, and he was right was behind me, no, <laughs> he was behind me, and he was getting ready to charge, and I was standing right in the way, so then I looked over to the right, and I saw um, I saw a dining room table in the field, and there was a ladder, and and um, so I, I realized that it was an invitation. So I I climbed up the ladder, and I sat on the dining room table. And then I looked, and the bull did it charged, and and it, it went to the end of the furrow. And at the end of the furrow, there was our dog, which had uh, just died two days before Christmas, and um, and he's representing a friend. And then there was a horse and a a horse represents power. And so, anyway, I looked, and the bull went right up to the dog and the horse, and it just stopped. And and so, anyway, I woke up, and sometimes you're thinking, oh, my gosh, what what did that mean? And then through the through the course of the day, and I was, um, God just, like, gave me what it meant. And, and it was an instruction for how to, how to get through this time that we were having. And, um, and uh, so... The bull I, was not, I don't think, Randy. It was like the enemy, you know, trying to come and, and run over our relationship. And, um, and God was telling me, hey, come over to my banquet table, my dining room table. My, come up and, and just worship me. Just be with me. And so, um, and then I remembered Psalm 23. It says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so, um, I was so excited about that. So, Anyway, uh, the other thing was we, um, uh, God provided friend, a friend, and, and uh, also um, just him, his power, and, and really he did take care of it. And the, the, the instruction part for me was to stay over here on the banqueting table and worship him, and, and he will take care of these things, the problems. So anyway, I don't know if that. Maybe I wasn't the bull, but I was riding the bull. <laughs> I think the instruction from Jane's encounter with God is, I mean, there are a lot of them, but one of them that just came, that came to me is that, you know, a couple of things. Sometimes, sometimes, though you'd like to say your spouse isn't your enemy, sometimes they act an awful light like him. And when your spouse is acting like the, the, your enemy, you can know that the enemy, the big enemy, Satan, is somewhere in the mix. And in Jane's dream, she didn't confront the enemy. She let God deal with the bull. 
She let God deal with the bull. What she responded to was the invitation of God to access a different power, a higher power, the intimacy. Jane experiences with God covenant love and faithfulness. God's never angry at her. God never breaks a promise. God's never selfish with her. And when she understands that type of covenant love, I'll tell you, just being honest, this happened in January, this dream. The struggles have been a few months before that. You know when I heard about the dream? Yesterday. She didn't come down from the banqueting table the next day and say, I got a dream and figured out how to take care of you. She stayed on the banqueting table. But I'll tell you what, about three or four weeks after that, I remember coming to her and, I'm, and I, was, I, was, I was a little skeptical. I'm like, what's going on with you? Honestly, what's going on with you? Because her heart had changed towards me. My heart hadn't changed. I was still a big jerk. But her heart had changed towards me. I thought, what has happened? I found out yesterday that God called her to a higher place. Covenant love is faithfulness forever. Love ongoing over and over and over. It's what God gives to us. When we get into that place where the enemy is trying to pull us from covenant love for any cause, even abandonment, even abuse, even adultery, it's the enemy at work trying to break the model of Jesus in the church in the world. Trying to show the world that, you know what, this whole love thing's no big deal. You know it's coming. We've got billboards coming in our neighborhood that are going to say something like, life without God is okay, or you can have hope without God, you know, whatever. Some people are all up in arms about it. I'm not up in arms about it. God's going to show his love, his hope, his life, his power through us, the church. We're not going to put up a billboard that says, all atheists go to hell. What we're going to do is live out the gospel of covenant love and just let them deal with the reality of a supernatural love in and through people that without him they cannot experience, period. Science and reason won't do it. Logic won't do it. A good feeling on a Monday morning with a cup of coffee looking at the sunshine won't do it. It takes the absolute covenant love of God. So, just to finish, Paul gives us a picture of covenant love, what it looks like in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm not going to go through the whole passage, but just at the very end, Paul says this, two big ticket items to keep a covenant love relationship alive. Very uh, end of the verse. It's a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife. And as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. I'm just going down to the bottom line here on keeping covenant relationship. Because covenant love isn't looking for a way out. It's looking for a way through. And here's Paul's instruction for a way through. Husbands, love your wives. You know, that's nice if she's lovable, right? What if on occasion she's unlovable? Then what's the instruction? Husbands, love your wives. That means you've got to find the power of God to do it. You've got to live according to a different system than the world's. The world says, unlovable, you don't get my love. God says, unlovable, I'll die for you. As Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the sinning, unrepentant, over and over church? He died for it. There's your picture of love, men. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to maintain 
that love. Bible, Paul says to the, to the women, respect your husbands. Here, this will freak you out. You want to know what the Greek word for respect is? Phobeo. We get uh, phobos, fear, phobia. That's what it means. A man, a, a woman ought to look at her husband, not in fear, you will beat me if I don't do what's right, but with reverence because of who he is, who God has called him and made him to be, and the role that God's put him in, in her life. Jane is not afraid of me. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. <laughs> but Jane has a respect and a reverence for me that shows itself in that even when I might be doing things that she doesn't agree with, she follows. I, in turn, love her and ask for her input and try to understand her better than anyone else in the world. And the more I love her, the more she respects me. And the more she respects me, the more I love her. And do you see the cycle? And all of a sudden we're in heaven. The crazy cycle that some of us get in is uh, we're not going to love our wives because they're not respecting us. And when we don't love them, they don't respect us. And the less love, the less respect. And we go down. Anyone ever been on that cycle? Oh, yeah? Well, I'm not going to love you until you give me my, right? And the wife says, well, I'm not going to respect you until you act respectable. No, that's the way of the world. Covenant love loves and respects and loves and respects. And there's literally created a whirlwind of God's love and power. It's not easy, okay? I'm not saying you just wham, douse you with love and off you go. If it was easy, we wouldn't have to have this talk, right? I'm telling you, going into my 25th wedding anniversary this June, it's not easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it. So I just put out to any of you right here who heard the first part of the message and said, I got a way out. No, you don't. I'm giving you a way through. You access the covenant love and power of God. Four books that I would recommend on this topic that would help you. Love and Respect, great book about the, the basic roles of man and woman and just written well and understood well. Love and War, another option. <laughs> also very well written, a little bit more down to earth, like sometimes it feels like war. But in the end, covenant love wins. Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas has a uh, uh, scary quote in his introduction to his book. It says, what if marriage is made to make you more holy than happy? Yikes. You want to read that one? Good for you. And then the one I, uh, the one I addressed, Divorce and Remarriage in the Church by uh, David Instone Brewer, a great book, Biblical Understanding of Divorce and Remarriage, that focuses not on the ways out, but on dealing with the reality of our brokenness in the world and pointing us towards the covenant love of God. Let's stand up and prepare for communion. <clears throat> Father, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that uh, you'd release your Holy Spirit among us. I ask that each person here from this time together in the Word would be drawn to the covenant love of Jesus himself would be drawn up to that banqueting table, would walk up the steps into such a close, intimate relationship with you that they access the power to walk back down and deal with real life, the enemy that seems like a spouse, the spouse that seems like an enemy. And Lord, I just pray for your grace and your mercy upon us. Would you make us a people, a people 
that reflect covenant love so that those who are walking in the ways of the world would see and know that there is a God, that there is a Savior, and that there is a depth of relationship available that the world's never seen. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. The communion servers can come forward. We'll go ahead and prepare for communion. If you have uh, given your life to following Jesus, you know him as Savior, this is a time for you to remember that. I just say to you, if, you're, uh, if you don't know where you stand with God this morning, you don't know about Jesus, you haven't asked him to, to be the Savior and forgiver of your sins, just in your chair while we're taking communion, think about what it would mean to know the one who created perfect love. And if you have questions about beginning a relationship with God, I'd love to uh, talk to you after the service. So for those who are taking communion, feel free to come forward, take a bit of the bread representing the body of Christ broken for you. Dip it into the wine or the juice representing his blood that covers our sins. There's a wine on the outside and juice on the inside. When you're ready, please come forward. Covenant love's not about looking for a way out, but looking for a way through. And when you access the covenant love of God, he gives you a way through. It's his promise best way to stay married is to fall deeper in love every day that's three more sermons or three more years of sermons but let me just tell you this the thing that you want to do on a date before you're married that's natural (laughs) that's real natural the thing that you need to do after you're married to sustain covenant love is unnatural It's supernatural. It takes work and it takes God. We will call the helpline if we can't sync our Blackberry with our laptop. But sometimes when the most crucial human relationship is completely out of sync, we'll go quiet. Let's not do that anymore. If something's stirring in you because you see my relationship's going down a bad track... My cord's starting to look a little frayed. Can I just be straight with you? Don't wait till it looks like this to come into my office. That makes me angry like a bull. You start feeling it, it's time to talk. It's time to talk. You find a counselor. You call the church. Um, Lots of opportunities to get help. Get in a home group. Open up with your struggle. You are not alone, right? Did you hear that today? 24 years of marriage, pretty good relationship, hard. And God's there to sustain and empower covenant love. If you're uh, young, not married, haven't thought of it yet, stay out of bed unless you're sleeping. Because you know what? What you do now has impact on your covenant love relationship later. Live in, learn about covenant love with God alone now so that when he brings the person you're called to forever, you've got an example. You've got a track record. You've got a history. If you've been wounded in a relationship, don't just walk away and say, there's nothing for me. There's healing for you. Do you know the Bible actually says God was a divorcee? Jeremiah. It says, God says, to to faithless Israel, I write a certificate of divorce. 
He knows what it feels like to be cheated on, to be neglected and abandoned. And so he can heal the neglected and cheated and abandoned heart. If that's you today, let's find a way. Stand up. Lord, thank you for the community of love here, for the family of God, for the power of God. God, we we give this and these issues in our own hearts, we give them to you. We say, God, come and show your covenant love to us and show it through us. We want to be a faithful and loving people. In Jesus' name, amen. Ministry team can come forward. If you'd like prayer for something along these lines or anything, we would love to pray for you. Um, if you need other resources on these, I think in this case, I'll put this, uh, this uh, message will be on the internet with some other resources for divorce care, for building your marriage, etc. So you can look online. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Have a great day.